So decarbonization sounds fancy, but it's really the kind of the whole process of trying to replace the fossil fuels with a with clean energy. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial at 102.9. Here today for another Making Sense of Climate session with my guide, Ted McIntyre. Ted, happy Tuesday to you, sir. Happy Tuesday to you right back, right back at you. Fun to enter our second year of recording on this. That's pretty amazing, but there you go. You know, it's it's a roadmap we're following. And fortunately, we know the direction. We don't know how we're going to get there. <laughs> That's right. No pun intended. <laughs> this right. is our second session in this new calendar year, 2023. And uh, there were a flurry of kind of year-end reports and recaps. And I know, if I recall correctly, uh, when we had Jeff Roy on previously, he mentioned he was waiting for this Commission on Clean Heat report which did indeed get issued on November 30th. And I think it missed our radar to talk last time. Um, but it was interesting because in, if I recall correctly, I mean, they shift over here. There, the first two paragraphs, which are really only like five or six sentences, but, you know, governmental sentences, they, they kind of like a run on. And I understand why they're doing that. So I will read it a little bit slower to make some sense of it, so to speak. <laughs> I quote, to comply with mass law and achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, the Commonwealth needs to rapidly, <laughs> emphasis there on mine, <laughs> rapidly scale up decarbonization efforts within the residential and commercial building sector. I'll skip ahead. It includes a whole wide range of factors: single-family, residential, homeowners, large family, multi large multifamily landlords, tenants, yada 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 yada. Coordinated actions, emphasis: coordinated actions will need to occur across multiple fronts. Scaled-up initiative, incentive programs, new and revised regulations, public outreach awareness campaigns, innovative climate finance, workforce de development, investments in affordable housing and low to moderate income communities, research and development, coordinated utility planning, and more. And I'm going to take a breath there because that was more than a mouthful. Yeah. There will be cost impacts across the sector, but also benefits to public health, safety, workers, the economy, yada, yada, yada. <sighs> Our work it's, is cut out for us. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. But it, I thought it was gratifying to see what appears to be a, despite the potential for, um, how shall I say, being co-opted into some milk toast thing, this clean heat commission which was mandated by the uh the mass government they came back with a fairly straightforward sobering kind of response i mean they didn't they didn't of course i haven't read it it's a big report but i've read some of the reviews and i've scanned the executive summary right 
they're not pulling any punches, right? They say, we, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. It all needs to happen quickly. And yeah, I think that it got released at an unfortunate time in the hurly burly of the holidays, at least from right. my perspective. But it and is at the end kind of, the, of and at the end of the term for our prior governor Baker, right? So right, right. yeah, and and so it's uh, it's something that we should take to heart and look at the because there's a ton of again a ton of different stuff you refer to all those different uh, subjects, right? But there's a lot of information in there. But I, what I took out of it at least the, the executive summary was that they, the commissioners had a sense of urgency about getting things going. And they had a sense that the Massachusetts state government needs to work to align itself better to identify so that the different agencies are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And they had other very specific kinds of uh, recommendations we can get into that I thought were quite, quite useful. Yeah, and I think that's a good connection point because in our last session, we talked about Governor Healy and her first executive action was to create that climate lead, right? recognizing. So at least she read the report, I think. <laughs> she certainly understood that she needs to help. As we've talked a number of our sessions, where left hand, right hand, we need to be together. The, right. the Commonwealth needs to work in common towards this goal. And in the paragraph, which again comes from that executive summary, yeah, they weren't sugarcoating it there. And it was interesting because clearly this is effectively the first report and it was only 2021 that the roadmap was set. So this is a year later. They were still talking of future and work to be done. They were not talking of accomplishments, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Which in itself is significant and thereby, oh, by the way, we do have a boatload of work. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think to your point, just, you know, it's easy to say things like the state government needs to be aligned, right? The different agencies, it's hard to translate that into a real thing. But I'm, I'm looking at a commentary from the Arcadia Center. And the thing that they said is that the there's a need for joint energy system planning. Okay. And they say that the, the DPU, which is the Department of Public Utilities, and the DOER, the Department of um, Energy, oh my God, resources, resources energy resources, yeah. they need to conduct a statewide joint energy system planning. And what do they mean by joint energy? They say, look, if we're if the gas system is going to go away, right? The electricity system is going to grow to replace it, and somebody needs to be making those connections between those two things mm -hmm. so we don't end up with a gap somewhere. Sure. And that's what I think they mean by by coordinated planning. That right? If we if we're if we have one organization that's trying to ramp up the creation of green electricity and another organization that's trying to ramp down the use of natural gas, they need to be in alignment. And that's a very specific kind of thing, right? Yeah, I concur because we've talked about the infrastructure requirements in terms of the pipelines and the power lines. Um, and ISO, New England in specific, has kind of that charter. So there needs to be coordination, not just within the government, but with ISO in order to make those coordinations that as we shift from a fossil-based or a natural gas-based, we know natural is not the right word for it, to whether it's wind energy or solar energy, 
that we can do that accommodation relatively seamlessly so the electricity flows right through to the plugs when we need it. Um, and that will require coordination. I think the other uh, useful word that fell out of that convoluted sentence you read, right? The first the first sentence of legalese boilerplate in the, uh, mm -hmm. the commission's report, they talked about decarbonization. Decarbonization. Right? Which, which sounds yep. like a chemistry process, but I think what they really mean is the replacement of systems that emit carbon dioxide, that is to say burn fossil fuels to, to do stuff, right? to remove those systems, to decarbonize the system and replace that, whatever that fossil fuel is being used to do uh, with electricity. And of course, the, the most easiest to grasp example would be to decarbonize your home right. in the sense that you get rid of the methane gas that you're heating your hot water and heating your house with, right? And replace that with electrical heat pumps. So that's decarbonization of a home. You've got decarbonization of the transportation system where you want to get cars becoming uh, um, uh, elect electrified, electric cars, right? Mm -hmm. you have decarbonization right. of the energy generation, where you get rid of the natural, the coal plants and make your electricity with wind. So that's, so decarbonization sounds fancy, but it's really the kind of the whole process of trying to replace the fossil fuels with a, with clean energy. And typically that's electricity, right? Agreed. Clean electricity. And in tying into the next link that's in the show notes in terms of the Boston Foundation Climate Report card, which was also issued in November of 2022 and thereby tended to get lost in the holidays, et cetera. They reemphasize across the four transportation, housing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It was interesting to look back in the commission's report. They focused first on the housing sector, potentially to our discussion that we who are the little folk in the housing space, we're going to need assistance. We're going to need help and guidance and never mind some financial resources potentially, but at least, you know, that needs to be a focus. So if anything, I kudos to the report writers. They didn't credit the wind and solar and other things, which we've discussed are indeed making progress. They focused on the housing and uh, commercial residential areas. Um, as really being the next area of focus. So yeah, that I, mean, I think was pretty good. And again, it's work we need to do rapidly <laughs> and it's I, gonna cost us. Oh, by the way. <laughs> I mean, but that, the, so for example, the commission to that end of, of the, the little, I mean, number one, uh, Steve, you and I and everybody listening to this podcast are on the same sort of mindset of these people writing the commission report, mm -hmm. right? They're worried about tracking the uh, uh, the roadmap. But one of the things that the Commission on Heat discussed, which I think pertains to people like you and I and everybody listening, is that the state of Massachusetts needs to do a better job of having one-stop shopping, so to speak, to help people decarbonize their homes. Yes. Right? That we've talked a lot about mass save. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the idea that now with the Inflation Reduction Act at the federal level, there are multiple ways you can make you can get money for the things you want to do to understand what you have to do, et cetera, et cetera. The state needs to streamline that process so that the 
a person like myself can go make one phone call and find out what are my options? What do I, what can I do? And who can I talk to about following through on that without worrying about talking to five different agencies, right? Yeah. And then clearly the other big key piece in there was in a related to the decarbonization was net zero, right? And net zero, and I'll pull a quote from another source that I'll, uh, expand upon as we go forward. But the quote, numbers are an element in a narrative process, but they are not just an element. When we have a number, it tends to take on a special importance as it leaves to us all the heavy lifting of the narrative construction. Yet it can constrains that construction because the story we tell has to justify the number. They're, they're, they're kind of tied together. Your quantified data history can provide material for constructing a story, but here our language also betrays us. We talk about the output from our tracking programs as results, but they're not results. They are first steps. And too often they are first steps that don't suggest second steps. <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. Sherry Turkle wrote that from her book, Reclaiming Conversations, uh, hmm. a 2015 book, just started reading it. It provides so much insight in terms of what I'm trying to do here, <laughs> in terms of making sense of climate with your with your help. And that's where it kind of, uh, she references also Henry David Thoreau. We remember him. He was a Massachusetts resident a long time ago, Walden Pond, all that kind of good stuff. He had a concept of three chairs. His house had three chairs. The first chair was for the individual, so that you in your house with your chair, me in my house with my chair, we would sit and think, maybe read, but sit in solitude and thereby help to deal with the world. And I know from the preparation that I do for these sessions that I'm sure you do very similarly because of the notes we're passing back and forth between, you have some similar approach to that. The second chair is kind of the conversation that you and I have here specifically because we're friends, but then individually with our families and our other circles of friends, that's the second chair, right? And the third chair is our visitor, the listeners, that outside the circle person who we want to draw into the conversation. Because as it turns out, while we may, I may be making sense of it for me, unless we get more involved, that rapidly moving that the Commonwealth Commission's report said is not going to happen. And oh, by the way, we know it's not going to be an easy, easy road because, as you just said, we don't have an easy way to get there, right? We get conflicting things here and there. So we've got a lot to do. Well, it, that's a that's an interesting metaphor. Basically, your this conversation that you and I are having now is, in a sense, being eavesdropped, overheard by the listeners. Thank you party. all very much for listening out there in Radio Land. Right? Mm -hmm. But the, the point is to draw in and help other people 
understand their own circumstances. And I guess the, the, you know, I can only hope that that's functioning. So if anyone's listening and getting lost in the weeds or this is not satisfying, right? They, 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 we want to know because the whole point is sharing the, what I think is knowledge or the understanding. And I guess then it becomes incumbent, not incumbent, but the, the people who I think are listening to the show are in their own seat, right? Yes. In their own private seat. And we are in some sense, this show is in some sense part of their research, right? Yes. And then they get to reach out to their own audience. And that's an extremely important kind of um, function as well, is that this sort of multiplier effect of people, and I can use another funky word of normalizing the discussion of climate, that yeah, you can talk about it. It may not be easy to do because it often makes you the Cassandra in the situation or the, the buzzkill, right? Mm -hmm. But but if you the more facility you have with the topic, the easier it is to, to bring it up. And the fact that if we all just accepted the fact that this was happening, then the ac action would be imperative, right? And so that's, right? And that's the direction that you think we're going. Would you agree? Uh, that, I, and it was interesting because reading the book, allowed me to verbalize a little bit better about exactly, I think, what we are trying to do. And yes, while we started right from the beginning, you're helping me make sense of climate. That's one thing. And clearly, each in our own way, we can make sense of the climate. But the bigger issue in terms of the rapid work that needs to be done is getting others involved to at least come to the table start listening, be aware of the terminology, and then tr start asking the questions, well, how does it, what What do I need to do? What can I do? Is it an electric vehicle? Is it a hybrid vehicle? Is it, you know, geothermal? Is it heat pumps? Or a nice segue comes here in terms of the uh, appliances, in particular, oh, yeah. you know, the dishwashers <laughs> where, you know, we were brought up in our age where you pre-washed or at least rinsed the thing before the, the dish or the pan before you put it into the dishwasher. And that's not actually the best thing to do. We're finding out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I the thing about teaching an old dog new tricks. I mean, I'm, I'm still struggling with that, but uh, yeah, there's, there's, it turns out that, so do you, just to go back to the to the the three chair analogy you you were you were talking about the I think that the listening to podcasts like this allow people to understand what their role is right and I made the case that everyone has a role in addressing climate change right some people are Greta Thunberg some people make podcasts some people get arrested right that's everyone has their own path mm -hmm. right. But the yep. place to begin is recognizing that there is an issue and that you are part of it, right? And then you can search around. It will happen naturally that people understand where their sweet spot is, right, for taking action. And I, oftentimes the place that most people begin is with things that they can personally control, right? It's like you, you can't worry about the hole in the ozone layer you know, in the first instance, right? No. You look around and say, right, yeah. am I, and you say, is my life consistent with these things that I'm hearing, right? Am I sort of aligned with that or opposed to that? And 
your home is a very easy place just to begin thinking about it, right? And so that yeah. leads you to this idea of the appliances in your home as being the source of um, the first actions. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and as I, I made the case that once you begin to take two or three climate actions, all of a sudden you see yourself as a climate activist and your self-perception changes, right? right? So, I mean, the article, so there's an article, right, about um, myths yes. about appliances. Yeah. And it's interesting, so I, now that I read it, it, it makes sense. I've walked around turning out light bulbs. I did that for years and years, right? Sure. Because the light, the light bulb, the old-fashioned incandescent light bulb was essentially a heating source that pr- produced a small amount of light as a byproduct, right? right. It, yep. And in fact, it was craziness that the a light bulb was rated by the power it consumed, not how much light it gave out, right? It's just, so you had a 60-watt bulb, okay, you thought that was a certain brightness, but anyway... It's in the not modern the age, that are now not the, the label. Exactly, <laughs> it was the exactly. wattage. It was how much power we were using, <laughs> and and so. But nowadays, many people, in fact, have switched over to the more efficient light. The LEDs they're commonplace. No one right. The, the sun still comes up in the morning, even though you have LED lights in your home. Mm-hmm. Right? There's not. It, it, people used to be afraid about the nice warm glow of the incandescent light. How would that, you know, would ruin my, my, the ambiance of my household? Well, you know, you have blue LED, I mean, uh, reddish LEDs, you get all that, the world goes on, right? The variety of LEDs is itself, we could do a separate piece, but that's not even in our ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it, it turns out that lighting is now a relatively small fraction of the energy consumed in your home. Right. So if, if you're still running around with incandescent bulbs, sure, switch them out. Right. But then I think the article recommends that the place to look is at your appliances as the first instance and that the and of course, the big energy hogs are the dishwasher and the refrigerator. Those are the ones you interact with daily. Right. Right. Uh, and there's a story to tell there. Right. So, Steve, you, what was this? This brings us back to: Do you scrape the dishes off and wash them before you put them in the dishwasher, or do you say, "By Jingo, that dishwasher is going to do all the work for me"? Well, what's your What's your feel? You know, is it? I'll I'll be able to tell better the next time we talk. Only not to def, deflate, uh, dissuade, not to answer. I will answer, but I'll be in a better position to answer shortly. Um, habits are habits. I've grown up rinsing before putting into the dishwasher. Coincidentally, a new dishwasher was delivered today with a little bit of luck. A new dishwasher will be installed on Thursday. So I'll test it. I will try and go that way. Um, I can understand the point of the article and the science, if you will, the studies that have been done around it, because if you're going to rinse and you're going to just leave the faucet open to do your rinsing, you're obviously wasting a bunch of water there. <laughs> and if it's hot water, that's one thing. If it's cold water, well, it's still wasting water to do the rinsing. If you've got a two-sink environment, that you can fill up one sink and rinse in the other, and that kind of works, et cetera. But there's also a time effort involved too, Right. By pre-washing all the dishes, that's just like extra time that you don't need to take because theoretically the machines should do it for you. 
I mean, I think the argument, so just to, I think the argument is the following, that many people, as I said, including people I love, just turn on the hot water, stream the hot water, mm-hmm. and then sort of dip dishes underneath it, rinse them off, and then put the dishes into the dishwasher. Right. And the, at least my faucet, I guess we have reasonable water pressure, but you can time it out. It runs about one gallon a minute. It takes about a minute to fill up a gallon of, so, you know, gallon, a gallon a minute you're consuming by just streaming hot water. So if you spend 10 minutes um, rinsing dishes before you put them in the dishwasher, you've consumed 10 gallons of hot water, right? Which is actually, you think about how long it would take to heat 10 gallons on your stovetop, right? right. That's, that's a lot. Sure. And then you do the dishes. Then you turn on the dishwasher. And the claim is that the dishwasher uses about three gallons of water, of hot water. Yes, yeah, right? so significantly less. <laughs> significantly less. And that the, at least the modern dishwashers, okay, the modern dishwashers, like the one I'm assuming you're about to get, has a little, basically it shines, has a little flashlight that shines across the back through the water as it's spraying around. And another little receptor measuring the lumens, shall we, the mm-hmm. amount of light that gets across the, and as the junk in the water uh, goes away, this, the, the washing machine is smart enough to know that the dishes are clean. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, and that that makes it more efficient to simply put dirty dishes into the dishwasher let it run. The dishwasher is smart enough to figure out when the dishes are clean and you can take your time and go watch a, go watch a basketball game or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Or listen to a podcast. Or listen to a podcast. But I guess I, you know, I, I have to admit, I kind of enjoy rubbing my hands around in that hot, greasy water cleaning things off. And I, I sort of take the the Zen moment of cleaning up after dinner. I mean, I'm not really counting those minutes as lost time. Right? No, so, no. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. No, and clearly, I want to be clear, too. I wouldn't advise, you know, putting the entire dish with whatever leftovers are on the plate into the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah, That's not yeah. the intent. Yeah. But clearly, yeah, I mean, you know, put the bones and what other refuse into the garbage disposal or into the compost pile or whatever, whatever. And then whatever's food items, little juices, whatever's left on the plate, not rinsing that and putting that in the dishwasher. That'll be the test about to happen in the Sherlock household fairly <laughs> soon. So I'll come back with with an update in the next in the next episode. But the other the, the, the other. So, OK, so in my instance, I forget our dishwasher is probably, oh, probably less than 10 years, but more than six or seven. Right. And I'm just wondering if it is smart enough to meet these modern um, behavioral uh, things, right? If yeah. it's do, if say so, when's the cutoff that says, yeah, you've you've got a modern enough one that you can put in a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of junk. But the other, let me let me do the other other the other topic there. So the other big ticket thing to think about if you're a homeowner, a person listening to this podcast, wondering where to begin thinking about things. The other interesting question is the refrigerator. The refrigerator, in fact, what the article says is if you have a second refrigerator in the basement, it's probably old, it's probably empty pretty much, uh, and you should just 
you know, one easy thing to do is get rid of that. But mm-hmm. that modern refrigerators are quite, again, modern, we got to figure out what that means, right? But right. modern refrigerators are quite efficient. And uh, that's an easy way to cut your energy consumption as opposed to changing out the light bulbs, right? That, that This is a, a, another way. And of mm-hmm. course, the, the good news, I think, is that there are, I think that under the Inflation Reduction Act, the that President Biden and all passed, I think there are rebates for some of that stuff, right? So in, in, in this day and age, you can start to buy these appliances that are quite energy efficient and get some money back for it and take advantage of those tax dollars that are flowing back to the state. Yeah, and um, the uh, that also gives us an opportunity to re- refer back as well to mass save. So if you do have incandescent bulbs, set up a mass save energy audit, and you can get a bunch of that. Whether uh, bulb replacement, they usually is a variety of bulbs they'll just come in and bring, and a variety of LEDs for different uh, uh, outlets that you have different lighting fixtures because there are a variety of fixtures in the houses in most cases Um, especially in the older houses you have older fixtures with either wide bases or narrow bases and as as you've seen sometimes the light bulbs are different you can't always put every light bulb into the same socket Um, so the one thing on mass save secondly within that yes uh, it's always good to check on what rebates are available uh, and that will help minimize the cost. Uh, obviously, there's still going to be an upfront cost, but in some cases you can get, you know, whether it's financing or whatever, um, look at the life cycle in terms of if you're going to get, call it a $50 rebate, $75 rebate, and get something on sale, then maybe the return, including the savings on electrical usage, you know, maybe gives you a two-year return, three-year return, right. Right. as opposed to a longer one, so... The the so I gotta since you said mass save again I gotta wander back to mass save one a third time so just to remind everybody mass save is an organization that is mandated by the state government but run by the utilities right run by the utilities and mass save traditionally over the last ten or fifteen years has been trying to improve your energy efficiency even though that was somewhat at odds with the profit motive of the utilities. Right? Sure. They were kind of in, in, in competition with each other. The Clean Heat Commission report says that mass save, that the state legislature should redefine mass save as a kind of a clearinghouse that is independent of the utilities, right? So you don't have this funny conflict about who's trying to do what and make mass save responsible for cutting carbon dioxide and basically be the the sort of one-stop shopping. So you can call up and and find out, oh, the Inflation Reduction Act from the federal government, I can get X dollars if I replace my refrigerator. Mm -hmm. That's what we need is this sort of information to be readily available to people when they come up to that moment that they decide they want a new refrigerator uh, and that they can get some help with it. I mean, so it's an interesting alignment from you know, the state level, even the federal level, down to decisions you're making in your home. Yeah. And continuing on that theme, in a couple of our prior episodes, we referenced having our state rep, Jeff Roy, with us. One of the things that he incorporated, and I think we discussed in those episodes as well, was 
is part of his uh his as part of the legislation legislation bleh, legislatures both senate and house bills fostering the climate change initiatives have incentives for more training etc as well as um in mass save space to provide and i know we've talked as well there's a pilot in that geothermal space that is underway and as those pilot results come out theoretically there'll be that'll be another initiative that'll come in to help uh those who can uh take advantage of that particular circumstance and i think as we were discussing as well in some cases maybe that's not going to be everybody's going to be able to take advantage of it but at least if we can get a significant piece of that housing market to start making that rabbit change to go back to to what the commission said uh away from fossil into electric into uh geothermal or you know heat pumps then we'll be better off down the road so one of the, i guess one other thing i would want to say since we're on this topic this sort of um crossover of appliances that you can get myths about appliances and personal action right because mm. you're sort of tying those two together right yeah. this is what you can do dear listener you could get a new refrigerator uh, most people you know buying a new refrigerator is a once every 10 year kind of thing for most people right you don't do it a lot and so i guess that i would say that there is um there are other more immediate cost-free opportunities of things you can do and i just put out there one of those things is forget the refrigerator just skip the meat meal you know eat one less meat meal mm. a week right because of the, the climate implications of particularly of eating red meat are significant and no one's asking you to become no one's asking you to become a, a vegan right and to forego all meat i just saying eat one less plate of red meat per week and you will be doing something you will, which is a not insignificant something uh that people can do long before you worry about your refrigerator right because i think going back to that uh key point that while you and i are making sense of climate getting others involved and climate to a certain extent is as i started with it, it can be overwhelming where do i begin right well we have to recognize at least that we individually can make an impact and some impacts may be easier. Some impacts may be less, uh, but we can make an impact. Um, so I certainly. And, and that impact is a journey, right? Oh. You begin with smaller things. Right. And then as you sort of feel you, you develop a comfort in your own style in addressing the climate issue, they can burgeon into all sorts of different things, right? It's, it's, this comes back to the roadmap analogy we have, right? And you were mm -hmm. talking about narratives. I mean, this is all a story we're telling ourselves about where we got to get to and how we're going to get there and trying to keep the coherence, right? I mean, so if you, if you eat one less meat meal, one less plate of red meat a week, that's good, right? But I mean, that's kind of the beginning. That's something that you do to, to test the water, so to speak. Yeah. Well, that was a good recap. We can pause, I think, and let people digest what we've said, because hopefully they're sitting in that third chair that we've pulled up and they've gotten nice and comfy to listen. 
and then they can follow the show notes and follow some other links. We do include other links that we won't get to today, but are other updates along the way of other things that are going on here and there around the world in terms of climate. And again, we're just trying to focus on Franklin because <laughs> that's where we are. So thank you again, Ted, for this conversation today. And I look forward to our next one. I'm looking forward to uh, to having all three chairs around the fireplace sometime soon. Absolutely. And quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.